welcome to the podcast of Redeemer West Side. Our church is located on Manhattan's Upper West Side, where we are living out the sacred call of Jesus to love our neighbors and heal our city. A reading from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. This is God's word. Thank you, Bianca. Good evening. Um, A Christian philosopher, Jamie Smith, wrote that when it comes to worship, it's really important, he says, to keep it weird. And when it comes to worship, it's important to keep it weird. And his point is that one of the purposes of worship is to um, startle and awaken us to the strangeness, the weirdness, the mystery of the God in whose presence we have come tonight. And uh, a God whose ways, the Bible says, are not our ways. A God whose ways, the Bible says, are unfathomable and untraceable. And therefore, for those of us here tonight who say we believe in God, we follow Jesus, it means that we ourselves should be living and should be perceived as weird and strange, a mystery in some ways to our friends and coworkers and our neighbors, living this tension between the world that we left behind when we came through these doors and the world that we have been singing about and reciting since we got into those doors. That tension. Peter, in the New Testament, who was a very close friend of Jesus, as he got deeper into his relationship with God, long after Jesus was gone, The more he understood what it meant to follow Jesus, you know what he wrote? He says, I feel like an alien. I feel like a stranger. The more I follow Jesus, the weirder it is to live in this world. It just doesn't feel that way. So maybe you're here tonight and you don't identify as a Christian. You're kind of trying to figure it out. And it may help you explain why When you read what Jesus says and you see what Jesus does, he doesn't fit into the kind of traditional molds, most of which are binary, that we shape our lives around. He will not and does not and cannot be captured in the human molds that we make because he's just too strange and mysterious. Now, 
tonight's service, the reason I bring that up, is because this is a weird, strange, mysterious service because we, we are deliberately taking time to reflect on something that most of the time we try to avoid, which is that despite all of the differences that are reflected in this room tonight, differences in age and differences in ethnicity and differences in your vocational backgrounds, despite all those differences, there's one thing that we all have in common. We are all going to die. We're all going to die. And so the strangeness of this night in which we are going to reflect and have been reflecting on the fact that we are dust and to dust we will return reaches its climax when you will come down and someone will put in dust on your forehead and say, remember, you came from dust and to dust you will return. That's pretty strange in the middle of the Upper West Side on a Wednesday night. And it comes from Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust and to dust you will return. And as Drew um, indicated, the strangeness is just beginning because this is just the doorway into a 40-day journey that begins with a reflection on our death and ends with a reflection on another death. A death that we think is good. We call it Good Friday. And so the question is, of all, to borrow the poet's term, of all the seasons under heaven, of all the various things that are available to us in the time that we have on this earth, why are we, as followers of this strange and mysterious God, focusing on death for 40 days as a way of trying to figure out how to live? Right? We're trying to get to Easter. Right? That's the goal. But we're spending the death that begins and the death that will bring to the end these 40 days. And so to answer the question of why, we're turning to this ancient poem that was made famous by Pete Seeger and the birds to everything turn, turn, turn. And as I was reflecting on it, the, the answer to why all this focus on death as a way to try to understand life is found in both the form and the content of what Bianca read. The form, which is poetry, and the content, which are the words. And now what do I mean? Because if you know anything about poetry, and we had a poem read earlier, the form of poetry requires us to do what? Slow down. We have to slow time down, which is the word that comes up over and over again in that poem, because poetry requires you to savor it, to meditate on it, to chew on it. But as you do, as you slow down, it actually reveals the mystery and the strangeness of things that you wouldn't normally find in other kinds of prose. Now, if you think about the Bible and you think about your own life and the times in which life seems so mysterious to you and strange, where do you go? To the poems to the Psalms. They are, in my Bible anyway, the place where I have the most writing because they're the place where I have the most wrestling or the most pain or the most uncertainty or the most doubt. And it's all poetry. But it requires us to slow down. And so the, 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 the form of it requires us in a time where news is constantly breaking, 
and tweets are constantly trending. Lent says, slow it down. Take some time to think about the time of your life and what really is important. And so the form matters, and, but the content as well, right? Because we're all trying to get, at the end of that poetry, to verse 9 and answer the question, what is the point of the time of our life between birth and death? What is the point? What do we gain? What do we profit from all the toil in our life? All the mourning, all the dancing, all the tearing, all the mending. What is it the end up? Add up to in the end. See, the poem describes all of these activities. I think you have it on your page. Everything, there's a time for everything that happens in our lives under heaven. And so as I was reflecting on that particular poetry, I said, well, do we make time for the things that really matter? since everything happens in time? Or does time just happen to us? I think this is what the poet is trying to make us think about. Do we, do we actually make time for the things that matter? Or do we, are we just passive recipients of time? The seasons come and go. Sometimes we're happy, and sometimes we're sad, and sometimes we're embracing, and sometimes we're mad. And in the end, we're not really sure And one Old Testament scholar says, when you get through the beauty of the first eight verses of this poetry, what you really come at the end is, this is a very bleak poem. Because it just leaves you with the question of verse 9, which is, what is the point of life if we're just going to be born so that eventually we can die? If we came from dust and we're going to dust. So he writes, despite all the agency that we do have in the world to make choices about the time and how we spend it. In the end, everything is frustratingly out of control of human beings. See, if you see the word toil there in verse 9, right? what do workers gain from their toil? That's a word that means to do something. And we're great in New York. We just do and do and do and do. We just keep doing it. And we just go. And so the psalmist, I mean, the the teacher, who is the author of Ecclesiastes, that's what he's called. He's like a philosophy professor, essentially, because he's not trying to tell you what's right or wrong. He's just trying to get you to think about your life. What's the point of all the doing? What do you profit from it in the end? If to dust we will return. I didn't realize this, um, but Paul Simon also went into Ecclesiastes 3 and came out with his own poetry, He said, we work our jobs, we collect our pay, we believe we're gliding down the highway, but what? When in fact, we're slip-sliding away. If you read the lyrics of his song, it's right out of Ecclesiastes 3. He says, what is it? We work our jobs, we collect our pay, but in the end, we're just slip-sliding away. What is the point, right? So when you look at it this way, time, which is the word that comes up over and over again, begins to feel oppressive. We begin to feel as if We're just victims of circumstances, that we move from laughter to weeping. We're swept up all of a sudden with, we have friends and now we're in conflict with them. Or countries that used to be friends are now in conflict with them. All of a sudden, all this time and all of these things are happening. And in the end, we don't have any control over it. And we say to ourselves at some point in our lives, where did the time go? And how in the world did I end up here? That's what the poet is trying to say to us. It reminds me of uh, this Francis Spufford, who's a brilliant writer, 
And he's reflecting on this idea of the circumstances of life. And he writes it this way, you're lying in the bath and you notice that you're 39 and that the way you're living has, bears scarcely any resemblance to what you think you've always wanted. And yet you got here by a long series of choices for things which at any one moment temporarily outbid the things that you say you wanted. Right? At that time, I wanted this. But at this time, now I want that. But now I want this. And you wake up one day and you're 39. And as the water cools, he writes, and the light of Saturday morning in summer ripples heartlessly on the bathroom ceiling, you glimpse an unflattering vision of yourself as a being whose wants make no sense. You're equipped, you realize, for farce or even tragedy more than you are for happy endings. Of course you are, you're human, and that's where we live. That's our normal experience. What do workers gain from their toil? See, and that frustration, that farce, right? My dog doesn't think about these kinds of things, right? He's just wags his tail, goes to sleep, wakes up, eats. Like, he doesn't care about what time it is or how much time he spent. or he, Wherever he is, he's supposed to be there. But it's frustrating for humans, right? That resonates with us because what, the, what this text says, we know the difference between beauty and burden. We know that we're not supposed to end up in the dust. And it's not because of anything out there. It's because of what God put in here. What did God put in here? Eternity. There's eternity in our hearts. And the, and the bleakness of this poem is that at the end of it, you know that time isn't just supposed to happen to us. That we're supposed to end up somewhere other than the dust. But we have no idea how to get there. We're just staring at the mirror someday in our 40s and saying, how in the world did I get here? What happened to the time that I spent in my life. You see, this is why we slow down in Lent and say, what is really important? What matters about the time that I'm spending? You see, Christians are those who have not just been given a new lease on life, we have been given new life. Jesus himself in John 17 says, you know what eternal life is? It isn't something that happens after you die. Eternal life is to know God and the son that he has sent. So eternal life starts when you're in a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what happens, though, is in our daily experience, time just slips away like sand through an hourglass. And we forget that. We struggle to love our neighbors. We struggle to pray for our enemies. We, we struggle with the strangeness and the mystery and the weirdness of what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. And then everything else will be added unto us. We, we struggle with all of our doing and doing and doing. And in the end, what we forget, Jesus. We forget that he even came. And then when that happens, at least in my own life, right, life becomes dusty and dark. It becomes, what one writer says, a meaningless journey to a meaningless end. See, Lent. I didn't grow up with any of this stuff in my church, by the way, but I have come to appreciate it because I'm ref when I think about my own life, as time has ebbed away, 
I am grateful for the wisdom of the church that says, let's take 40 days and slow down. And let's turn and say, what is really important with the time that I have left? That's what repentance is. Repentance is simply turning away from one way of living and turning towards another way of living. And that's what these 40 days are about, to say, if I'm a follower of Jesus, what really matters? And what, is, what do I do with the time that I have left? And so just to close, right, how does this weird worship that we're doing tonight help us do that? Because up until this point, it seems pretty depressing. Well, to repent, you really need two things. You need to experience your own need for help, for grace, right? And that's the dust. That's the ashes. That's remembering that from dust we have come into dust we will return. But I don't know about you, I'm not going to confess any sin or share any vulnerability unless I am certain that the person to whom I'm sharing that is going to all, has already forgiven me. <laughs> because it doesn't really make sense, does it, really, to say, well, let's confess your sins to one another. I'm not going to confess my sins to you unless I know that you love me, unless I know that you're predisposed to forgive me. Otherwise, you're just going to weaponize my failure, <laughs> right? You're going to exploit my brokenness. So, yes, you have to know your need, but you also have to know that before you turn, whoever you're going to face and say, help me, is already predisposed to do that, and that's the sign of the cross. It isn't just ashes that are smudged on your forehead. <laughs> that would be really depressing. It's the fact that it's the cross that is smudged on your forehead, because what does that say? Yes, life is a burden. Yes, life feels dusty a lot of the times, but ultimately, what Jesus has done by dying on the cross is that he has acknowledged that and taken that burden on himself and became dust for us so that we can have new life. Malcolm Geith, who's a poet, who was in the reflection quote at the beginning of the service, he has a beautiful poem on Ash Wednesday. But in one of his writings, he says, you know, the, the ash that is left over after a forest has burned becomes fertilizer for new life. And that one of the ways he's thought about the ashes on his foreheads over the year is that what has been destroyed by Jesus' death is death itself, and new life comes out of that. And he writes that in a daring and beautiful creative reversal, God has taken the worst that we can do to him, which is to kill God, which is what we have done by putting Jesus on the cross, and he's turned it into the very best that he can do for us. God has taken the worst thing that we can do to him, which is to crucify him, and he's turned it into a beautiful thing that he can do for us, which is to give us new life. So before you come forward to receive the ash, just let me encourage you or exhort you this way to challenge you to live weirdly, strangely, mysteriously over the next 40 days to somehow cultivate the dustness that you are going to be taking into the streets of the Upper West Side in just a few moments. Maybe through fasting, that's a traditional way in Lent, to give up something that you really like so that you can experience the pain of giving that up and reminding you of your dustness, that you're completely dependent on God. But it also, when you feel that need of something that you normally have but you've given up, part of what Lent is supposed to do is to turn us to people who are closer to the dust than we are, 
So maybe relationships in your life that need mending. Maybe the poor that need more support. Or people who are grieving that need embracing. People who are closer to the dust than maybe you are. But to do all that resting on the inner beauty of being loved by the God who has already loved you and died in your place. From dust you have come, and to dust you will return. This is actually good news if you understand what is about to be put on your forehead. Let's pray. Father, for the deep wisdom of your word, for the timeless, transcendent truths that speak to us down through the centuries, we thank you. And I pray that you will help those here tonight who are struggling with the dust of death in their own lives, broken relationships, a sense of waking up and asking, how did I get here? I pray that you would renew them through the receipt of these ashes with the hope that comes through the sign of the cross, that you have loved us and that you will never leave or forsake us. Do that, we pray, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We invite you to check our website to learn more about the church and how to get connected to our community. Just visit RedeemerWS.com.